Chapter 4, Turkish Delight But what are you? said the queen again. Are you a great overgrown dwarf that has cut off its beard? No, your majesty, said Edmund. I never had a beard. I'm a boy. A boy, said she. Do you mean you are a son of Adam? Edmund stood still, saying nothing. He was too confused by this time to understand what the question meant. I see you are an idiot, whatever else you may be, said the queen. Answer me once and for all, or I shall lose my patience. Are you human? I'm Katie, and this is Bethy. Welcome to For Narnia and For Aslan. Today, I hear we have an announcement. Yes, we do. Katie, guess what? What? We have our first patron. Yes. Woo. Woohoo. <laughs> Shout awesome. out to Nathan Weber, who yeah, Nathan. is our Through the Painting patron, which means that he gets access to our mini-sodes that we make. He's going to get a thank you note from us. He gets to vote on our episode names. What else does he get? He gets this shout out right now. Oh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> he gets the Nathan, shout out. we're so grateful for your partnership with us in this podcast and for being a loyal listener. It's so fun to know that you're out there listening and that we get to collaborate with you in some of these things now. Yes. This episode is officially brought to you by us and Nathan Weber. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> Thanks, Nathan. We appreciate it. In other news... In chapter four, the queen learns that Edmund is a son of Adam, and she decides to make use of him. She gives him a hot drink and Turkish delight and finds out all she can about his brother and sisters, making him promise to bring them to her soon. By the time she leaves and Lucy discovers Edmund, he has become fully enchanted by the Turkish delight, at least half loyal to the queen, and pretty miserable, too. Aww. Poor Edmund. I know. He's up against a fearsome woman. (laughs) He really is. And I just want to say right off the bat that like up until now, Edmund has been, you know, a little bit bratty, Mm -hmm. kind of struggling. But Hmm. from this point onward, I do not blame him for anything that happens because he is manipulated and, you know, he's like 11 or 12 years old. He's manipulated by a very powerful woman. And I just feel like I can't blame mm. him from now on. What do you think of that? I don't know what to say. I mean, I think what he contributes to it all isn't maybe a great show. But obviously, he's dealing with something far bigger than him, far beyond his control. And wow, we get into some big theology real quick here about sin and how much more powerful it is than us if we're trying to deal with it on our own. And and yet the structure of this book is going to end up with some repentance required from Edmund. Yeah. And I do think that there is a lot that he needs to repent from. He is really mean to Lucy, but hear me out. Okay. So I put together a list of ways that the witch manipulated and groomed Edmund. And I feel like all of these are classic signs of ways that grownups groom and manipulate children. Yeah. So first of all, she insults and scares him. So she says that he's an idiot. And then she asks him to sit at her feet and he doesn't want to. It makes him uncomfortable. But she puts him in an uncomfortable Mm -hmm. position anyway. And he feels obligated to do it Mm. and then makes him comfortable in that position. Something that at first he was like, no, no, no. By the end, that's just how things are. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. In fact, it says Edmund did not like this arrangement at all, but he dared not disobey. Yeah. So here he is uncomfortable and made to be comfortable by covering him in her mantle as he's like shivering. And then she gives him something warm to drink and something nice to eat. And suddenly he's comfortable with a situation that he wouldn't have been comfortable with before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then she repeats a mantra six times. Did you catch that? No. What is it? She repeats that he must bring the others to her. Six times. Wow. Yeah. In one conversation, she says again and again and again, you have to bring your siblings to me. I have to meet them. Wow. This is actually all she wants. Oh, yeah. She's just trying to put this thought into his mind as if it's his idea. Hmm. She does this in other ways, too, because she puts words in his mouth. She gives him words like, oh, you can't trust Fawns. Or Hmm. when you do bring your siblings here, you can say, let's see who lives in this house. Hmm. Mm -hmm. The other ways that I found the grooming and manipulation is that she asks him to keep a secret. Yeah. When a grown-up asks a child to keep a secret, that is a red flag. She says, and by the way, you needn't tell them about me. It would be fun to keep it a secret between us two, wouldn't it? Super creepy. Mm Mm-hmm. Ugh. Okay, and then the very last thing that I noticed is that she compliments him. She calls him clever twice and handsome once and tells him that he's special and that he'll be a king. And so she offers him power. (sighs) Yeah. And by the end of the conversation, he feels like he knows what his option is. Bring his siblings to her and then that's what's going to make everything work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. By the end of this, he feels like he owes her something. Hmm. And also she's like given him something that he wants to keep getting. Mm-hmm. He wants more and more and more, and he's willing to lie for her. He's willing to keep a secret. He chooses to trust her, even when he's presented with opposing information from Lucy. Mm-hmm. So these are all really classic ways that grownups groom and manipulate children when they want something from them. And it's just Super so creepy evil. to see yeah. how easily it works on him. And so I just feel like I can't blame him from here on out. And you know, I think... Back to that big theological question. When we say that we are sinful and broken and in need of repentance and forgiveness, I don't think that means I went out and by my own boldness did all this disobedience against God or something. But like I got caught in this trap of evil and Mm. I need to be freed from it. Yeah, it becomes a web and it's really hard to separate yourself from it. And you do become complicit in it. Like he does some horrible things because of this attachment he forms to the queen. Oh, absolutely. But it's that he's serving a bad slave master sin. Right. And it's hard to know when it's you and when it's the manipulator, when it's become so entangled. Yeah. We all obey somebody. Yeah. Wow. And that description just reveals how horrible this witch is. I mean, this is a really bad lady. Ugh. So creepy, but also just fascinating to see it come together like this. Because when I had read this before, I hadn't noticed until I bothered to like really read deeply just how evil she is in this chapter. The thing that really stood out to me this time was that at first, this wasn't going to be her approach. Yeah. At the beginning, when she learns that he's a human, she says, this may wreck all, learning that there's a human in Narnia. But he is only one and he is easily dealt with. And it looks like she's about to, she raises her wand. Maybe she's going to turn him to stone or kill him or something. Then, just as he gave himself up for lost, she appeared to change her mind. 
"'My poor child,' she said in quite a different voice. "'How cold you look.' "'Why do you think she changes her mind?' That's a good question. I guess I sort of background assumed, you know, at this point she doesn't know yet about the others or how many there are or if somebody else might be following him. And she feels like it will be better to use him to trap the whole lot. Right. Because for all she knows, there could be like 12 of them. Right. (laughs) And then she just have to hang out by the lamppost and kill all of them (laughs) one at a time. That would be dull. And so, of course, Edmund doesn't want to sit by her feet after, you know, he's given himself up for lost. Yeah, that moment is really interesting in the the whole fight, flight, or freeze thing. Mm. He is totally a freeze. Yeah. It says she was going to do something dreadful, but he seemed unable to move. Did you think that was his natural response or some kind of magic? Oh, maybe, because if she was about to turn him into stone, it could be that he was maybe already starting to turn into stone in that moment. I wasn't sure, yeah. Hmm. So then she offers him this drink and this food, and she says, what would you like best to eat? And he says, Turkish delight, please, your majesty. Immediately. That must be a really exciting treat to him if he like, yeah. already was like, oh, if I this have is anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> have you had Turkish delight before? I have. Yeah. Have you? Yeah, it's pretty good, actually. I think the one that I had maybe just wasn't a very good recipe or something because I didn't enjoy it. But I would really like to learn how to make it. Hmm. Maybe we should do that for a mini-sode on our Patreon. Okay, I've been thinking about this and how, oh, for Narnia-themed things, it'd be so fun to have Turkish Delight. But it's always, like, tainted with being the object of temptation for Edmund, (laughs) which is such a bummer because it's, like, interesting and good. No, I think it's worth learning how to make. But it's hard to make. Well, I don't know. Because it's like a gelatin thing. Right. It's probably pretty complicated. The best I've had, my friend brought it as leftovers from a restaurant and it was rose flavored and it was covered in little dried rose petals that you eat. (gasps) Whoa. And it was so good. So good. And Edmund gets to eat several pounds pounds of it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Of the best Turkish delight. I really liked the description where after she's complimented him saying that he's clever and handsome. Oh, I know. It says his face had become very red and his mouth and fingers were sticky. He did not look either clever or handsome, whatever (laughs) the queen might say. Yes. (laughs) Like, yeah, he is just a little boy eating Turkish delight. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. He's not the evil one in the room. (laughs) And I was actually impressed with his manners. (laughs) he's losing his manners in that he begins shoving his mouth full and talking with food in his mouth and everything. But then when it's finished, he just looks very, very hard at the empty box and wishes for her to offer him some more. He doesn't (laughs) ask for it. He's a good kid. Until the end. Then he he can't help but shout it out as she leaves. But this whole section, it says... She knew, though Edmund did not, that this was enchanted Turkish delight and that anyone who had once tasted it would want more and more of it and would even, if they were allowed, go on eating it till they killed themselves. This totally made me think of Romans 7 Hmm. and how Paul says, oh, wretched man am I that I don't want to keep sinning, but I keep sinning anyway. And it just keeps happening and happening and happening. Mm. And of course, then we have Romans 8, which is the delightful freedom that we can find in Jesus. But when you're stuck in that rhythm of I just want more and more and more till it kills me and I don't even care 
yeah it is wretched yeah and i think you're right pointing to that that like we can't get ourselves out of that (laughs) i was just talking with somebody yesterday who was reflecting on their experience of addiction and recovery and how when they were at their low they were not wanting to die but like not really having much to get up for either and ended up coming to a point of you know their doctor offering a recovery option and and them realizing i'll be dead this summer if if i don't take it oh wow and i think that's really like i don't know the holy spirit breaking in and saying we're going to change something about what's happening because there's nothing in this that will lead to anything different oh that's so much like edmund in that moment of just giving himself up for whatever is coming unless you get help yeah yeah he needs already intervention i kind of wonder if you know years and years down the road edmund is still living in narnia with his siblings and i wonder if every once in a while he's like man I still think about that Turkish delight. Hmm. I wonder. Because it's enchanted. I mean, we don't know how long that lasts. Mm-hmm. It's possible. And he knows what it means and why he can't go back to that. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it doesn't tug. I really feel for him. Edmund is at a moment in his life when he needs some great mentorship and just love and care. And this witch comes along instead and tries to destroy him. Offers him a fake form of mentorship. I mean, she says, I'm going to teach you how to be a king and I'm going to give you my kingdom. Which isn't that interesting. We know he'll end up king. Absolutely. He is given what he's promised, but he's given the real thing. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Let's step deeper into Edmund's shoes, if you're ready. <laughs> Let's do it. Today we're going to be doing Ignatian Spirituality, which is allowing ourselves to just fully step into a text and imagine every bit of it. So I'm going to be reading a section that we've spoken about quite thoroughly, but we're going to imagine it as best we can and just try to imagine like there's snow everywhere. You can see your breath. Hmm. What does it feel like? What are you noticing? What does it smell like? All of those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So, Katie, go ahead and take a couple of deep breaths. Put your feet on the ground. Close your eyes and allow yourself to go to Narnia. Perhaps something hot to drink, said the queen. Should you like that? Yes, please, your majesty, said Edmund, whose teeth were chattering. The queen took from somewhere among her wrappings a very small bottle, which looked as if it were made of copper. Then, holding out her arm, she let one drop fall from it, onto the snow beside the sledge. Edmund saw the drop for a second in midair, shining like a diamond. But the moment it touched the snow, there was a hissing sound. And there stood a jeweled cup, full of something that steamed. The dwarf immediately took this and handed it to Edmund with a bow and a smile. Not a very nice smile. Edmund felt much better as he began to sip the hot drink. It was something that he had never tasted before. Very sweet and foamy and creamy, and it warmed him right down to his toes. It is dull, son of Adam, to drink without eating, said the queen presently. What would you like best to eat? Turkish delight, please, your majesty, said Edmund. So, Katie, what did you notice Mm. as I was reading that? Well, I was facing the queen. I was in Edmund's shoes and I was sitting down at her feet looking up at her and she's really tall and I felt my feet cold 
And also I noticed how much sweetness he's consuming Mm. because the drink, I pictured it like foamy, like a cappuccino or something, but like chai tea that's really sweet. Mm -hmm. And then it's dull to drink without eating, but instead of having some like roll or bread or something to kind of cut the sweet, it's like more sweet on top of it. Yeah, it's kind of sickening. Later Mm -hmm. on, it says that he has a stomach ache from it. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. I noticed for the first time as I was reading it that the drop hissed in the snow. Yes. Like maybe it was already warm. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, I was picturing the sound of like when you put a drop of cold like water on a hot stove or something. Mm -hmm. But it's reversed kind of. Yeah. (laughs) Dwarf is leaving footprints. And I thought that the kind of snowy day it was was a little bit more of a dreary day than when Lucy first arrived in Narnia. Mm. The cold, wintry feeling, but not the fresh new snow feeling so much. Right. The kind of snow that really crunches, like you have to cut through a layer of some ice with your foot as you step. Yeah. (laughs) Just being so cold and maybe even a little sleepy, like just wanting to feel better. So when this hot drink comes and it feels good, I don't know, can kind of get sucked in. It makes perfect sense to me that in the end, the narrator says that he's become friends with this woman and he doesn't like that she's being called a witch. Mm Mm-hmm. That actually relates to where I'd like to go with our scripture reading. There's a good bit at the end here about Edmund's conversation with Lucy. The witch drives away, makes him promise to come. Come next time, next time, don't forget, come soon. And then immediately Lucy arrives. And they're having such a different experience of Narnia. She's been with Mr. Tumnus. And she explains to Edmund about the White Witch and all the horrible things she's been doing. And Edmund knows that that's who he's just met When he heard that the lady he had made friends with was a dangerous witch, he felt even more uncomfortable. But he still wanted to taste that Turkish delight again, more than he wanted anything else. And so he starts standing on the witch's side. It's not that he disbelieves Lucy. He believes that she's a dangerous witch. But he's still, it says, already more than half on the side of the witch. There are other things that are already more important. Right. He's lost his perspective of the rest of the world, everything else that would normally matter. And the scripture I wanted to take us to, are you ready to go to our scripture reading? Oh, absolutely. It's from 1 John chapter 4, and it's talking about how to discern good and bad spirits or false and true words. This is 1 John 4, 1 through 6. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Amen. Hmm. That's so hopeful. I know we're not in the same position as Edmund of being taken in by getting caught by this evil liar because the one who's in us is greater than the one who's in the world. And Edmund needed this knowledge of Christ 
in whatever terms that comes in his world, to recognize truth from falsehood. He got caught by falsehood before he knew it, and he was in its power and couldn't get out. I love how clear that passage is. Hmm. It says it several times in different ways mm-hmm. and just really makes sure that everybody is understanding. <laughs> like, right. If you're listened to, then that person's of God and you're of God if you have this. And it's just very instructive and nice and clear. Mm-hmm. Like a situation comes up where there's, oh, maybe this is where God's leading. Well, does it acknowledge Jesus Christ coming in the flesh from God? Yes or no? <laughs> And that's pretty recentering too, because, you know, some of these things to discern feel like they're kind of on the outskirts, can feel like a question that we get focused on, but this brings it back to the heart of, is it about Jesus or not? Knowing the truth is actually pretty simple. Yeah. It's following Jesus. For Edmund here, he hasn't yet met Aslan, but he will. Yeah, he will. And so far, the one person that he's met in Narnia, everything is about her. And we've always known that about the witch. We saw that in the last book. Yep. She will only talk to you if she can get something out of you. Mm-hmm. Edmund's demeanor is so different from Lucy's. And she's just kind of frolicking around, happy, so glad to be in Narnia, so glad to see her brother there. And Edmund is feeling miserable, feeling sick, doesn't want to stand in the snow, nervous about how to talk with the others about Narnia. And finally, Lucy recognizes, you look awful, Edmund. Don't you feel well? And it says he was feeling very sick, even though he says he's okay. I don't have something specific to say about that, but can just see how this is hurting him. Well, yeah, I mean, there's clarity there as well. Hmm. When we are living with God and choosing love, Hmm. it feels natural. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there should be a peace and joy. Even if things are difficult, there's not this confusion and guilt and sickness. Once again, there's simplicity and clarity there. Mm -hmm. Well, how can we be applying these ideas to our own lives? I think for me, one pretty practical way to do this has to do with the fact that just yesterday I got home from a four-day canoe trip. (laughs) (laughs) It was so fun. So cool. And during that whole time, my phone was dead. I never went inside a building. It just felt so right. Like I felt so myself the whole time, so at ease. Mm. And I don't think that our whole lives can be like a four-day canoe trip. (laughs) I don't think that that's very practical. But I do think we can step away from our phones every once in a while. We can step outside more often. And that when we do that, we're reminded of the very, very first command ever given, which is to care for the earth Mm -hmm. and for each other and to bring about health to the earth. Mm -hmm. And so I think that would be my practical application is just a reminder to step outside a little more often, put your phone down a little more often and be reminded that to take care and love the earth that we've been placed on is to be following the first call and that that's like so good and so of God and us being in our natural position. Right. As you talk about it, you sound like Lucy's kind of spirit of joyfulness, enjoying Mm. the place. Yeah, I feel that way because it feels natural. It feels like obvious. Mm -hmm. What about for you? I'd like to apply that same kind of thing, that that feeling Right now, I'm, I've am i been feeling kind of overstretched and like I'm trying to reach too many directions 
and not really doing any of them very well and just overwhelmed and sleeping all the time. Hmm. I guess doing some discernment, like the passage talks about, like we're seeing between Edmund and Lucy and discerning maybe not so much stark good from stark evil, but what's the path of being God's child and living into that with my work and what's unimportant or not for right now or a distraction, stopping to discern kind of thing by thing. This feels Mm -hmm. fruitful this week. This feels important. Let's do more of this kind of thing and let's not worry so much about that. Yeah, kind of seeking simplicity. Yeah, I think there'll be a lot more actual, well, I think more more good work will happen and I'll enjoy it a lot more too. And probably the people around me will enjoy me a lot more. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. Mm. (laughs) Although you are always a joy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to my mother at least. (laughs) (laughs) Bethy, would you read our last paragraph for us? I absolutely will. By this time, they had walked a good way. Then suddenly they felt coats around them instead of branches, and next moment they were both standing outside. Oh no, Katie, I just realized something. What? I didn't mention something really important. Huh. Um, the witch in the beginning was really surprised that Edmund came through a door, but then she knew exactly where the door was. Oh, that's true. That was weird to me too. And I couldn't tell if it was just like... <sighs> Like a hole in the plot, you know, like a mistake. Yeah, didn't it seem kind of like a mistake? It felt that way. What does she say when she points him out where to go? But I don't even know the way back to my own country, pleaded Edmund. That's easy, answered the queen. Do you see that lamp? She says straight on beyond that is the way to the world of men. How does she know that? And yet she's surprised in the beginning. I mean, she does know about the lamppost from her prior history. Right. And she knows that there are ways in, obviously, because she's taken the wood between the worlds. A door from the world of men. I have heard of such things. Hmm. Maybe she knows that if a door comes up, that's where it would come from. Or maybe it's this conversation with him that reminds her about humans and about the yeah, stories. Yeah, I mean, maybe she's forgotten. She's been around a long time. Mm-hmm. But I also could imagine it being a bit of a... <laughs> What works in one paragraph is different than what's helpful in another paragraph, and they don't quite align. And this was written before The Magician's Nephew. Oh, true. Huh. Good point. Anyway, I just wanted to be sure that I mentioned that, and I totally forgot to until right now. (laughs) (laughs) Glad to bring it up. If anybody has ideas, we'd love to hear them. (laughs) They're entering through the the coats again. Maybe think of that. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, let's return to our let's like, hear it contemplative out. ending. <laughs> <laughs> By this time, they had walked a good way. Then suddenly, they felt coats around them instead of branches, and next moment, they were both standing outside the wardrobe in the empty room. I say, said Lucy, you do look awful, Edmund. Don't you feel well? I'm all right, said Edmund. But this was not true. He was feeling very sick. Come on then, said Lucy, let's find the others. What a lot we shall have to tell them, and what wonderful adventures we shall have now that we're all in it together. And this was only the beginning of the adventures of Narnia. See you next week with Chapter 5 of The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe.